Tonight, I have been before God for a lot of hours, and I have been praying that he would make himself visible to you. I only have words. That's all I have. But I've been praying that God would give me breath of fire tonight, so that as I speak, he would make himself visible, that he would open up your eyes, and that you would see that he is the one that is able to say who you are. Imagine being there at creation. Imagine being there at creation. The best I could come close is the Narnia series, where Aslan creates Narnia. So you know what? I'm actually just going to read you a little bit of that. And we're just going to, I'm a storyteller by uh, profession. All day long, I read stories to my kids. That's my job. And um, And I believe in stories, and I think God believes in stories. And sometimes it's easier to picture an imaginary world being made than to picture the real world being made. And so, I don't know when the last time somebody read you a story was, but for the start of tonight, why don't you just relax a little bit and I can read you a touch of a story. There's two little kids, and they fall. You see, I nearly fell. Are you guys praying? (laughs) Come now, help a girl out. There's a sisterhood. Right. So these two little kids, and they've fallen into this world by mistake. They were trying to go into one world, but they've fallen into another world, and this world is going to be Narnia, but it hasn't been created yet, and it is pitch, pitch black. They're not loving it, and the, the witch says, this is an empty world. This is nothing. And really, it was uncommonly like nothing. There were no stars. It was so dark that they could not see one another at all, and it made no difference if you kept your eyes open or shut. And in the darkness, something was happening. At last, a voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory, the little boy, found it hard to decide which direction it was coming from. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming from the earth itself. The voice sounded like it could have been the lower sound of the earth speaking, but there were no words. There was hardly even a tune, but it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful sound he had ever heard. And then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. And the second wonder was the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one as they would on a summer evening. One moment there'd be nothing but darkness, and the next moment a thousand, thousand points of light leapt up Single stars, constellations, planets, brighter and bigger than any in our world. The new stars and the new voices began at exactly the same time. It was almost as if the stars themselves were singing. And it carries on and speaks about this voice that sings. And eventually we see the lion that walks and his mouth is open, but not in a roar, in a song. And he is, as he sings, and you can hear the different no- notes and different things appearing, and primroses, da, 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 and the primroses come up. And he sings a gentle voice, and the water starts to flow. And then he sings a, a wild tune, and the ground starts to bubble, the grass is bubbling, and animals start bursting forth. The moles look just like normal moles popping out of their little moleholes. But then out comes, comes massive elephants out of the different different mounds that are as big as cottages. And then he calls them all to him, the lion, 
He calls them around and he stares right through them. And he sings a wild song over them. And then he says, Narnia, 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 awake. Live, speak, think, love. Imagine being there at the beginning of creation. Imagine being there when our God said, light, and the lights came on. Imagine being there when he separated the waters, when the wild waters covered the earth, and he said, stop, this is your shore. Your tantrums are confined to that place. Come no further. Imagine being there. We sung a song that all creation is evolving in pursuit of what he says, that as he speaks, a million different galaxies appear, and in the vapor of his breath, the planets form. The creatures catch his breath. Nature and science changes in pursuit of what he said. What about you? What about you? Because I find a very strange dissonance, disconnect, when it comes to God's voice and me. It seems as if I am allowed to stop God's voice. When God speaks and says, you are this, it sounds more like a train screeching to a halt. And I say, sorry, God, you have observed incorrectly. And, you know, I bet you I'm not the only one because the last thing God said to me, not the last thing, but a couple of weeks ago when I was sitting on my bath mat, which has become my prayer mat, as you all know, uh, I was sitting on my prayer mat and he said this to me. He said, yet you are so lovely. Would you believe him? Would you? Yet you are so lovely. I was busy telling God how unworthy I was and how I was more interested in what other people thought of me than what he thought of me. And we're having this conversation and he interrupted me with, yet you are so lovely. Oh, glory. I'm on the last page of my notes. Now, who organized that? That is not very helpful at all. (laughs) Anyhow, luckily there's only a few notes. He said to me, look at you, my dearest darling. You are so lovely. You are beauty itself to me. And scripture taught me that I was supposed to respond like this. Yes, I am truly his rose, (laughs) the very theme of his song. (laughs) I dare you. Yes, I am truly his rose, the very theme of that song that I was speaking about. As the primroses come popping up, here I am, the glory of creation. Did he say that? Did he say that we were the glory of creation? He did. Why do we feel that we get to judge God's words? Why do we feel that we get to um, be Lord, be judge? You know a gavel? Hey, I need you to know a gavel for you to understand most of the sermon. You know a judge has a gavel and they go, order in the court. Okay, you know the little hammer. You've got it with me. Why do we feel we get to judge? We say, God, you have observed incorrectly. And God says, I was not observing, I was creating. When God speaks words over you, they are not words of observation. They are words of creation. 
You know, we know psychologists have taught us, psychologists have been very useful in the last couple of decades, studying all sorts of things, which are important, but it is quite amusing to me, no, no diss on psychologists, but quite amusing that as humans, we are drilling the depths of the human mind and we can't understand it yet. It's quite funny, it's our mind, but we still can't understand it, even with the best science minds trying to understand it, but they're still very useful, and to try and understand science and nature is important, even though we still seem to be struggling so very much. So science and psychologists have told us that it's very important for children to know their identity. Everybody needs to know who they are. So, and we feel we need to figure that out for ourselves. Like, who am I? I need to decide who I am. And um, when we went into high school, when we started high school, so 13 years old, orientation week was dedicated not to finding out where the toilets were and where the classrooms were, but finding out who we are, because they thought if we knew who we were, then everything else would fall into place. <laughs> Probably quite true. If we knew who we were, everything else would fall into place. Very wise, see, psychologists, they're doing well, it's just that they cannot yet plumb the depths of the human mind, as no scientists, are we still learning, we're still learning so much about creation. And so we were told to try and understand ourselves and that we were asked things like, I'm sure you've been through one of these, like, what are you good at? What do you like? What don't you like? What do people say about you? So that you could try and get some handles to understand who you are. So I would write, oh, I, I like dancing. So I am a dancer. Uh, I like, well, I don't like spinach. But then since then, I've heard so many good things about spinach that now I love spinach. So I'm like, oh, have I changed who I am? I don't know if I am. I'm still the same person. <laughs> We're still learning all the time and recreating ourselves. And um, one of the things we were given was a red rosette. And now when you're picturing red rosette and this rosette said, you are a winner. Okay, we've given you a label. You are a winner. And uh, this, this was not a very exciting rosette. It was actually just photostated on red paper and you had to cut it out yourself. <laughs> so... They gave us the picture, the first of red paper, and I cut it out myself, and it said, you are a winner. It was orientation week, so we also had uh, name tags stuck to our chest, and so I took out off my sticky label, stuck it to my you are a winner sign, and I put it at my desk in my bedroom, and there it sat for the next five years, every single day in high school that I did homework, I read, you are a winner, Jackie Stott. <laughs> yep, you are a winner, Jackie Stott. And you know... Another very helpful thing that the psychologists have taught us is there's something called, am I right, Deb? Cognitive dissonance. That's when you say something, but you don't really believe it. It's actually even more damaging. So now they're trying to take back all those you are a winner signs. Like, no, no, don't, you must first believe it. Don't just say that. Because when I read that you are a winner, Jackie Stott, uh, nine times out of 10, 10, I felt absolutely nothing. And one time out of 10, I'm like, I'm really not a winner today. <gasps> the sun has judged me. And so when we're talking about saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I am the head and not the tail. I am strong, I am beautiful, I am clever, but you really don't believe it, it's actually really damaging. So you should probably not chant over yourself if you don't believe what you're saying. <laughs> who am I? We feel the need to define ourselves. It's amusing to me when you look at it in the light of creation. So we are defined 
by many different things. And often when we have labels, when we try to figure out who we are, then we can almost grow to be what we've decided we are, am I right? So when I wrote, I'm a dancer, okay. And so then I grew looked to look more like a dancer and I had absolutely no boobs and a flat stomach and nice big calves, but it was only because I did 50 million calf raises and walked on my toes most of the time. And so I looked like what I said I was. And then I became a mother and I changed shape and I started to look like this. And then I needed to breastfeed, so now I had breasts. And then, uh, and I have no boobs and I'm not a dancer, so I don't quite know what I'm going to do with that. But <laughs> all those pregnancies, I actually can't dance anymore. It's a problem. So I need to figure out something else that you can do without no boobs. So anyway, <laughs> give me a call. <laughs> Maybe we can define ourselves by our relationships. I used to be Kevin's sister. Uh, then I became Richard's wife. And then I was Jed's mom. More lately, I've been known as Kiara's mom and even Hope's mom. And I don't even have a daughter called Hope. <laughs> for those of you who have been praying for Hope, thank you so much. <laughs> when we said keep Hope alive, <laughs> we meant keep Hope alive for Kiara. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. I'm sure, I'm sure that your prayers were added into the mix. We really appreciate them. We need to know who we are. We do need to know who we are because we do grow to become what we think we are. Am I right? We, we, we decide what we are and then we grow to become what we think we are. Uh, on many of, I think, is there anybody here who doesn't know that we had an accident. Are there any people? So I, okay, so I don't want to bore you, but I also don't want to leave anyone else. So we had an accident on Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas, things were not looking too good. Um, by Christmas night, by Boxing Day morning, the phone call came that it was over. And when we left the house that morning at about 8 o'clock, I had courage for that. I had courage that we were going to be saying goodbye to Kiara that day. By Boxing Day night, when Kiara hadn't died, I didn't have courage for that because I had no idea what that meant. And we were sitting with a couple of friends. I'll mention their names because you may know them. Craig and Andy Clark, Richard and I, Mark and Pletson, Rory Dyer. We were sitting with a couple of friends and they were chatting. And I turned to Richard and I said, babe, I'm terrified. I'm so scared. I'm, I'm like, don't look down, kind of scared because I'm going to fall. And um, <clears throat> Rory overheard me. And he looked at me and he said, Jackie, when you were made in your mother's womb, you were woven together for greatness. You were made for greatness. Jackie, this is greatness. This is your moment to be who God has created you to be. I didn't know what that kind of greatness looked like. I didn't know if it meant hiding out in the bedroom with my daughter for the rest of her days, giving her bed baths and making sure that she didn't get bed sores. I didn't know. I had no idea what it meant. But I was made for greatness. 
when he wove me together, he made me for that. And if I believe it, if I know what he says I am, I can become what he says I am. We have to know who we are. It is essential for us to know who we are. I wonder if you're asking the question, who am I? I have no idea what I'm capable of. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Who am I? Why do I hate myself so much? Why do I think the world would be better off without me? Who am I? Why has nobody noticed me yet? Am I not who I thought I was? Who am I? And who gets to say who I am? When you ask a question like, who am I? And you get an answer like, you are lovely. It can not only make you think that that is irrelevant, it can also make you jolly angry. It can also make you jolly angry because that cognitive dissonance thing kicks right in where you say, how dare you call me lovely when I know that that is not true. You are, you are slapping loveliness in my face. That is not who I am and you know it. How dare you, God? God is not observing. He is creating. Why do we have this inherent defiance when God speaks over us who we are? I'd like to suggest that it comes right in the beginning. In Genesis, we saw the video, let there be light and there's light. Separate the waters. He calls everything into being and he calls man, made in his image. And we're made in his image, and it's good. And we're good with it. We're okay with being made in his image in the beginning. But you see, because he's made us in his image, he has to give us choice. And he says, you're not my servant. You're not my slave. The animals, they don't get to not be what I made them to be. But you, I want you to be more than that. I want you to have choice as to whether or not I get to say who you are. I give you the choice to decide whether or not I get to say who you are. And so he says to Adam and Eve, in the garden, there is a tree, one tree. And if you eat of this tree, you are choosing that you would like to know good and evil for yourself. You would like to be able to judge good and evil. You would be able to like to judge who you are. You would like a gavel for yourself. I'm going to read from Genesis 3. The serpent said to the woman, you won't die if you eat that. Why did God tell you not to eat any of the tree, any of the fruit? You won't die if you eat that tree. No. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, to make one like God, to set one as equal, as a source themselves, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree in the middle of the garden? When I hear God's tone of voice in my head, who told you you were naked? It reminds me of when I've seen that my child has just seen something that is gonna change their life forever and I can't undo it for them and they don't realize the consequences of what has just happened. Oh, who told you that you were naked? I remember when our nine-year-old, probably nine, when our nine-year-old son said, I'm adopted because my mother didn't love me. Who told you that you were adopted because of that? Who told you? You're not in a position to understand the truth. You don't, you are adopted because your mother does love you. That's why I adopted you. <laughs> but how can I teach him that now? He has seen from a place, from a position that he should never have been sitting in. And what is the first thing that Adam and Eve realize? <gasps> I'm not good enough. Oh my word, I'm, I'm the judge. But I, I judge myself as not good enough. The first time they had done nothing wrong, the first time they were given a gavel, the first time they stood in a position that they should not have stood in, they sat in the judge's booth where they should not have been sitting, they knew that they didn't have what it took to be there. They knew that they shouldn't be the judge. They're not the source. They're not the one who creates life. They're like a rose that's been cut from a bush and turns around to see if it's got life and realizes it's cut off from the source. What is there? But now, how do we undo that? God knows that this is going to be a big deal. We inherently know that, don't we? That we're not enough. I remember when the tension started to mount around these Kiara. I mean, I'm just like a South Coast blogger in the good old days where like my mom reads my blog and she, she's very kind. Well, she mostly, I think you read it. Do you read it? Not maybe, maybe not every time. But she reads a lot of them and my husband reads all of them. And so that's great. And now all of a sudden there's all this attention mounting and I'm like, God, I, they, I'm, they're going to see that I'm not enough. They're going to see that I'm not enough. God, thankfully, was able to speak to me and say, Jock, he calls me Jock. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> Jock, nobody who gets anywhere near close enough to you is going to confuse you for the source. Just relax. <laughs> we know, we inherently know we're not the source. And so when people start shouting our name and giving us accolades and going, you're like, oh my word, these people are so deceived. Oh my word, I'm not, a, I can't give them what they think I am because I'm not the source. We know that. Deep down, we know that. 
And so we now need a lot of handles to try and define ourselves. We need to know who we are. So we're looking for things to define us. And we love systems that say, if you do this, then you're good enough. And school systems and religious systems. And my friend, Wendy, went overseas when we were teenagers. And she brought back a magazine we don't get here. And it was called How to Be a Sex Bomb. So I was like, awesome, I am a sex bomb. I have figured out what I'm supposed to be. And so I read this magazine, I studied it, like studied it. And there was this article in this little magazine that taught you how to have the kind of feet that, okay, they use a rude word, but they said the kind of feet that when someone sees you, they just like want to jump you straight away. (laughs) Okay, so mine weren't too bad. I had something to work with, but... um, like, you have to have those, like, buffer things for your, for, what are these things called? Heels? You have to buff your heels, and it's a no, no. Cracked heels would make everyone be like, eh, what terrible, don't want to have sex with her. And, um, yeah, you can say that at church, but, okay, this is not our church, so I'm sure they can say that here as well. <laughs> Anywho. So one of the things they said is you should never, ever, ever have hair on your toes. Please don't tell anyone. So, I started plucking the hairs off my toes. I don't only have them on my big toe, also, it's also on the one next to my big toe, so that's really embarrassing. And because this is sisterhood, I wore open shoes because I knew you guys wouldn't judge me. One day, I was sitting in the car. This is now years later, okay? I've had this magazine for years. It has defined what it means to be a sex bomb in my head. And I have met my husband, Richard. He's my boyfriend. We're sitting in the car with my mom and dad. They're in the front. And Richard is sitting next to me. And I've got my feet up on the console. And is that what it's called? That little thing where, you know? Um, so I've got my feet up between my parents' chairs. My mom, in complete love and... <laughs> so much love. <laughs> Shh. Complete, just my parents, they're so nice. They think I'm perfect. They like, she's like, oh, cute. And she starts stroking the hair on my big toe. <laughs> oh, glory. <laughs> I'll never forget that, mum. <sighs> so I'm sitting like this, and Richard is sitting next to me, and she's busy. I'm like, Mom. Mom, she may as well have turned around to my boyfriend and said, you may as well leave this one. She'll never be good in bed. (laughs) Mortified. Okay, I'm over it, and he doesn't mind because I haven't, yeah, it's all good. Don't worry about that. (laughs) The point is, (laughs) that, that is a really silly thing to try and measure myself up against in order to get an identity. And I wonder, what has defined your identity? A lot of my identity as a woman was defined by rude jokes. And when I say rude jokes, I heard someone insulting women in a joke, and I thought, oh, okay, note to self, that's what it means to be a woman. Best I take note of that so I can stay in my place. Magazines, oh, that's what it means. Okay, this is where I fit, down here. 
someone treats you a certain way, someone throw away comments, and you're using all of them. Our brains are storing information all of the time. So you're storing all this information so that you can measure your thoughts against it. You see, I um, studied, I wrote my thesis on something called genetic programming. So genetic programming, uh, it was not as clever as it sounds. It was only a, a on his thesis, it was um, how to train a computer to have artificial intelligence. So basically, you just put in hundreds and hundreds of the same kind of patterns, and then the computer, next time you put in a pattern like that, is, it says, oh, it must be, mine was on speaker identification, oh, that's the voice of Jackie. I've heard that voice in all the training, so now I can recognize it. So our brains are like that. We've, we've programmed a whole lot of things into the back of our brains, and so when information comes up, when a comment comes up that says, you are so lovely, we measure it against all the images we've stored, all the comments we've stored, all the descriptions, and we say, barp, wrong. Not so lovely. I've read a definition of lovely in a magazine that came from the UK called How to Be a Sex Bomb, and you, God, are missing it. Wow, you, God, are missing it. We let religion define us too. There was a man called Job who did that. He is a book in the Bible, and he is probably the oldest book in the Bible, maybe even one of the oldest writings that we have. And Job experienced a terrible calamity. Now, when we experience terrible calamity, we often stop and ask, who am I? What's going on? Why is this happening to me? Who am I? And so this happens to Job. He experiences terrible calamity. And I'm not going to explain to you why. We, I don't want to go on too long. And Job's friends gather around him. From Job 2, verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all the terrible things, when I say terrible things, he lost all his children in one go. Then he lost all his business deals in one go. Complete bankruptcy. And then a little while later, he lost his health. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, mentions their names, and they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not even recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. If you've not experienced grief, and you want to know how to be a friend to someone in grief, this is how you do it, I'm telling you. You sit in silence for days and nights, and you let them think. I had friends who did that for me, and I'm so grateful. Sitting in the waiting room, I don't want to go into ICU. I don't want to go home. I just want to sit. And they sit in silence. And after seven days, finally Job speaks. And the first thing he says is to curse the day he was born. Damn that day. Let it be struck from the calendar. Let it be not a day. Why me? Why me? God, why me? Do you know who I am? I... 
And I think back to my, my blog the day after Boxing Day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've given you everything. Even now you can take her, you know that. I'm holding nothing back from you. God, why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to me? Who am I, God, that you would do this to me? Kiara's brother's first question when we explained to them the accident was, why Kiara? What did she do? Why me, God? And he stands up in front of God and he rants and raves for chapter upon chapter and his friends turn out not to be as good as I said because they're saying, well, it's obviously your fault you've done something wrong, so you should not copy that part. And uh, in fact, just go with the keep, keep silent and let God talk part, okay? You don't need to start giving them reasons for why it's happened. You don't know why something bad has happened to somebody. You don't need to give them reasons, okay? Can I just say that? You don't need to try and figure out the mind of God. Let him speak for himself, okay? So Job is devastated, and he is marching up and down, and he is explaining exactly who he is and why God should not have done this to him. And in this scenario, he is standing up and he has got the gavel. He is the judge. He's the accused. He's the defense. He's the whole courtroom. And he is explaining to them who he is. And he says to them, do you remember the good old days? I am the guy. And he really, really was the most righteous man that could be found. That's how the story starts. He's the most righteous man on the planet. And he says, I am the guy that when I walked into the courts, when I walked out into the streets, people stood up to give me their chair. People made space for me. When I spoke, people hung on my every word as if I was rain itself. When people needed help, they came to me. They knew that I would help them. If somebody was poor, if there was a widow, if there was an orphan, they would come to me because I am the hope for the widow. I wear righteousness like a turban. I walk and justice follows me. He, he says, I am the eyes of the blind. I am the feet of the lame. I am all of these things. This is who I am. Just wait. <laughs> and then, after all of his friends have tried to give their reason, there's one little guy. He actually wasn't one of the three. He's a young man. And I'm hoping I have his voice tonight. Because he says, Job, I'm not here to judge you. Like you, I love God. And like you, I'm just pinched off from a piece of clay. But Job, have you heard what you've been saying? You have been setting yourself up as judge, not only over yourself, but judge over God. You have said that God has acted unrighteously. Job, and as he speaks, Job realizes what, is, what he's done, and he hears the voice of the Lord. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that dark, darkens counsel by words without knowledge? 
sitting in the judge's seat. And sometimes, God loves Job, hey? God loves him. But sometimes, you need to put your children where they belong in order for them to be safe. And this friend has taken Job's hand as he stands in the judge's booth and he said, Job, you're standing in the judge's booth, dude. Come down on the floor. And, Job, and God says, who is this that would darken my counsel, who speaks without knowledge? Tell me, Job, stand up. Stand up. Where's your wig? Put on your jacket. Are you a judge? Explain to me, Job, because you were obviously there when it happened. How did I start the earth? What, what is it hanging on? Why is it where it is? How, how did I measure it out? Did I have plans? You know, obviously, because you were there. Clearly, you are the judge. Job, tell me, seeing as you are the judge with the gavel, tell me, Job, how do you know? Do you know whether the, how the animals were formed? Do you know how the mountain goat gives birth? Were you there when I told the sea, that's your shore? Were you there? Because I cannot defend you or judge you rightly when you are sitting in the judge's box. And I wonder tonight, who is going to be brave enough to give up your gavel? Because when Job was finished, he threw down the mark, but he didn't throw down the gavel. The defense rests, and the Bible says the words of Job are ended. But God had not finished speaking. And God kindly, very firmly, but very kindly, to Nat and to Job would say, ladies, Job, were you there? Why are you judging my words over you? Why are you judging my actions? Why are you judging what has happened to you? Why are you judging yourself as not enough? Why are you judging yourself as life is unfair and this shouldn't have happened to me? Why are you judging yourself? Were you there? Did you sing the earth into being? Did you wake it up with your voice? Or will you step out of the judge's booth? We need to first give up our gavel and then we need to adjust our gaze. Because if you want to know who you are, you need to stop belly gazing and look up. Because you are found in the great I am. You are found in him. That is where you are. I don't know who I am going to be tomorrow. I may decide not to like spinach after all. Maybe I'll start dancing again. I don't know what I'm going to be tomorrow because all I need to know is that the I am will define who I am. That's all I need to know. So, God is asking you, he is giving you an opportunity tonight. He is showing you again that he is judge and he is asking you to give up your gavel and to adjust your gaze and to look into his face and to see who he is. Stop asking, who am I? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Ask, 
Who are you, God? You will find yourself in him because every day he will speak words over you. Words like, you are so lovely. Once you have given up your gavel and adjusted your gaze, then you can be God's word. You can believe God's word. You can become God's word. You can be formed by God's word. You can reprogram your mind. Can I just be really practical now? Really, really practically, if you want to be what God says you are, I get that you may not look like who God has created you to be. I get that. I get that circumstances in your life may have ruined you. I get that choices in your life may have remade you. But there is a remarkable science going on at the moment about how we get to remake ourselves again. And it is all about programming our minds, forming our minds by what God says. Reading the word of God and letting it go past the gate that gets to decide if it's true or not. Let it go past the gate and let it form you. Let God be the one whose spoken word forms you. When I lie next to my husband and we've had an argument and I'm irritated by him and I think, I am, mm, 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 I am. What do you say I am right now, God? And I picture God taking Eve and he didn't just make her for ever. He made her for that moment. What did he breathe into her? to be enough for that moment? What is God breathing into you for you to be enough for this moment? Because every moment looks different. That is the beauty, that's the glory of it, is I don't need to know that I am dot, dot, dot. The dot, dot, dot. Look, we're gonna talk about that at the other sisterhoods. We're gonna talk about what it is that God says you are. But the I am dot, 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 the dot, dot, dot becomes limitless when God is speaking, but it also becomes inconsequential. It becomes something that I don't have to know beforehand who I am. Let God form you by his spoken word. You know that we've got a little surprise for you coming up, that some of the girls are gonna be dancing. I want to tell you that this dance it's not a performance, okay? You don't perform when you've had three days of rehearsals <laughs> and you don't perform when you've had open brain surgery two weeks ago. You don't perform. <laughs> they are gonna do you an illustration of what it looks like when a bunch of sisters get together and agree with the word of God over their sister's life. That is what they're gonna illustrate. Because sisters, tonight, I have asked God, God, I don't want to speak a word, but it's a nice word. I'm like, God wants to make you all rich, yay! But it's not true. I'm like, well, it might be true, but I didn't ask him that. I asked him, what is it that you want to do tonight? Because I want to, I want to be what you say. Because then what I say will flow over them and you'll actually do it. And God said to me, I want to bring the dead to life. I want to bring the dead to life. He said to me, and I said to him, are you sure, God? Because I don't think a lot of dead people are going to be coming. <laughs> that is actually what I said. <laughs> like, what? And God said, do you think that this illustration is for nothing? I would like to illustrate what it looks like when people take my spoken word 
because these girls got on their knees day and night those first few days, and they asked God for a word. And I know because thousands, thousands of people have told me that they did the same thing, and God gave you a word. God gave you a word that Kiara would live and that she would have life and that she would be healed. God gave you a word. It was his word for the moment. It's not forever. In 100 years' time, that is not going to be the word over Kiara. Okay, we know that. It's not forever. It's okay. But for that moment, God's spoken word over her was life. And so those girls danced and danced and danced. And they danced to the song that said, we are agreeing with the sound of heaven. We will agree that there's life to these bones. We will dance until they wake. We will sing until they wake. That is the song that they danced to. We will sing until they wake. We will celebrate even before they've come home. We will celebrate. Those are the words of the song. And then it goes, it was the rhythm of your dancing that woke me from my sleep. And so this is not a performance. I don't want you to watch and to think, oh, they're a little bit out of time, <laughs> or anything like that. Or, wow, Kiara, very good, good form. Mm, interesting. Yeah, you're doing pretty well. That was like almost exact. I don't want you to worry about that. I want, you to, I want you to see that there was a girl to whom circumstances said death. And I know circumstances are saying death over some things in your life. God spoke a word. The sisters, you included, stood on it, sung over it, danced over it. And it came to be. But Kiara had to agree to. She had to let the rhythm of his dancing wake her from his sleep. And tonight she'll show you that she did just that. One of the first comments when she woke up, unfortunately, somebody said to her, so do you think she'll ever dance again? <laughs> it was a kid. And um, <clears throat> she could hardly say words at that point, and she said, of course I will. The face said it all. <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> that is where I'm going to end it tonight, ladies. Will you let the rhythm of his dancing wake you from your sleep tonight? but it's only going to happen, happen if you put down your gavel. Stop wondering who you are. Look at who he is. Adjust your gaze. And let God's word form you. Be God's word tonight.